0: You are probably familiar with those verses, even if you're not a regular attender or Bible reader, but Matthew 7, 13 and 14 kind of stand on their own about the road and gate and wide and all that stuff. In Matthew 7, 12, we teach to every child who grows up. So that's kind of where we're familiar with them, right? We're going to dive in. Just a couple of housekeeping items before we go. Be here for dinner Uh, this Wednesday. Please bring a side dish. Protein will be provided. I'm going to put us out there, John. You ready? John Fom and I are going to try and do our best impersonation of Gordon Ramsay with steaks and chicken. So you'll have beef and poultry. Bring a side dish and enjoy. That's uh, Wednesday here. We'll probably be inside. The weather is changing around uh, 6 p.m. Be here or be nowhere. And let me pray and we'll dive into the scripture. Father, thank you. For your word and your son, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for those who are serving here. I do pray for the sister in the back who is going through a trial. Bless her, be with her, and strengthen her. And I pray for all of us as we dive into your word. Remove the biases and preconceived notions I have and we have from these familiar verses. And Jesus, we pray that you would show up and teach us about your father, our heavenly father, In your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for six months. Everyone go, get done with it. (laughs) But it's been a while, right? It's been a long time. Hopefully we've been learning. And today is one of the culmination days in Jesus' teaching. You just heard the verses that we'll be studying. But if you remember all the way back, or remember all the way back in Matthew 5, 17, if you guys want to go there on the slides, Matthew 5:17 this is where Jesus began to usher in what he would talk about in Matthew 7:12 so there's a big bridge and the first brick is Matthew 5:17 Jesus says this after he gives the beatitudes after he talks about salt and light after he talks about a bit of persecution that might come if you live a certain way then he says this cuz he knew there would be naysayers and skeptics and bloggers, and people on Twitter. He said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not, but to what? Fulfill. And in them being fulfilled, there's theological things going on. There's talk about the cross, and God dealing with sin once and for all going on as fulfillment. But what Jesus says here is, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets, not by lowering their standards, but by what? Upping the ante. Ooh, what are you talking about? I heard weird things about the Old Testament and what they used to do to each other and what God desired and all that. And so what Jesus has done, hopefully in our hearts for six months, is begin to deconstruct some of our misnomers about him and God's kingdom. Because most of us, or a few of us, have been in church a long time. And church is wonderful, but if we get Jesus wrong, we get what? We get everything wrong. So, he says this, next verse, 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, language of the day of nothing, absolutely nothing, not the tiniest bit of the law and the prophets will be abolished. They will not pass away until all is accomplished. Okay, most of our minds jump immediately to Calvary. don't do that yet. God did accomplish an amazing thing on the cross, but Jesus isn't, in a sense, talking about that yet. He's talking about his kingdom being built as well. Verse 19, Therefore, this is scary, because I tend to teach once in a while. (laughs) Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Don't get confused necessarily with commandments because our mind goes right to the ten what? But law and prophets is the context. Law and prophets, okay? And verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So heaven's going to be a lonely place. No, don't get freaked out. But when we saw this a few months ago, we looked at Luke's parallel passage. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember what Luke said? Luke was dealing with perfection and mercy. And I think that's what Matthew's getting at as well. We are fallen. God's son died to pay the penalty for our sin. And then upon receiving that, the gospel, walking in the way of Jesus... There are no more excuses with the Holy Spirit. We learned about that last week. We are called to be pretty perfect in our mercy and compassion. Amen? Because you can now. All of us know what it's like to feel marginalized. All of us know what it's like to feel judged. All of us know what it's like to feel pain. And now on this side of the cross, we have the great gift of the Holy Spirit himself to go, I'm going to enter in and offer mercy. And I'm going to do so to obey my Savior, Jesus, and be part of the family's business. Who's part of the family? Dad. I want to be a part of his business, and I want to inject mercy. And I'm seeking perfection in mercy and grace, not spiritual perfection. Who of you can pray perfectly? Good. Neither can I. <clears throat> who of you can worship perfectly in song? If you sit up here, you know I can't. My voice is not good. Who, are you can, who of you can preach a perfect sermon? I know I can't. But in the gospel, God, my heavenly Father, who has forgiven me, has asked me to enter into this race of perfection in my mercy and grace. And it's attainable. It's a scary part. It's scary for me because I don't do it enough. So here we go. That is what was started in Matthew 5. Jesus is going to bring it to a close today in Matthew 7. <clears throat> and we'll talk about a few other things as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount in a few weeks. Think way back to the Old Testament. A lot of of interesting stuff in the Old Testament, right? A lot of crazy stuff went on. Ultimately, in God choosing a people for himself was to make his name known to the nations so his people, the nation of Israel and others who would come, would worship God correctly, because there's a way to worship him correctly and not, and then... Treat each other justly. That's the whole Old Testament. There's lots of turns and twists. It's a big movie. But that is the goal in in which God gave the law. That's what He wanted. Ten Commandments talked a lot about Him and treating other people. He would add more because people weren't doing the right thing, we'll say it that way. God's a good parent. How many of you have kids? If you have two rules and they break both, what happens? Now there's four rules. And if they break four, what happens? Usually now there's 50 in America. Now there's eight rules, right? And so on. But we call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant the law and the prophets because God in grace, when his people were off track, would send prophets, sometimes wearing funny clothes and hanging out in the wilderness and doing different things, and their main message would be return to your father and be about his business. Worship him and treat each other lovingly and justly. Isn't that the history of humanity right there? Our history as humans is, we can debate about who we worship and why, but we haven't treated treated each other very well over 10,000 years, we'll say, or more, right? So that's a problem. And people, me being one of them, are always having an issue, usually worshiping God and then treating each other the way God wishes people to be treated. We'll say it that way. Just so you don't take my word for it, because I should back it up with some scripture, folks in the back, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah is a beautiful book. It's uh, split kind of in the middle. In some ways, kind of like the New Testament and the Old Testament. It depends on numbers and whatnot. There weren't numbers in the Old Testament. But it talks a lot about the nation's sin and God's redemptive plan and the promised son, Jesus. So right out of the gate, Isaiah starts to write to the nation. And he starts to, you ever got like an email, you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming and now I'm angry because I read it. You ever get one of those? Or a letter? Or a phone call? In some ways, that's Isaiah's first chapter. I'll read a little bit. I won't read the whole thing. Isaiah 1, verse 12. Isaiah is speaking to a people, and I'll give you some context. The nation's been up and down, but right now, the the people Isaiah is speaking to, the southern kingdom, uh, they're doing okay. They've watched some of their brothers and sisters who split off earlier on have some hard times, and they have a bit of pride because the capital city is near them, and they're kind of like, we're God's people. And then the prophet writes this When you come appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? That starts off rough, the first line, right? Modern day, your boss, when you come to my office, who requires you to come make a mockery of this company? You probably would be like, Oh, I better start putting my resume out there. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna be working here much longer, right? But this is a shocking message, right? And we go, oh, next verse. It doesn't get much better. God says this to his people. Stop doing church. That's our context. Ooh. Stop worshiping incense. All the festivals that God has prescribed to them, his people, to remember God's goodness and grace. He says, I'm done with them. Ooh. Does God talk like that? Sometimes he does. And this is kind of indicting. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. So corruption is running rampant in God's, I don't want to say kingdom, with God's people, okay? Prosperity has come sometime. Military battle has come And in some ways, we would say they had lost their first love. Verse 14 is tough. We'll put it up there and we'll skip down for the sake of time. Again, the things that once, assemblies that once brought honor to the Lord, moon and Sabbath and whatnot, but look at this. His soul, God says, I don't like this. I'm displeased. I am wary of bearing these things. I'm frustrated. Now, if you go back contextually, the first thing in your head should be asking what were these people doing? Lots of bad things. They were. There was idol worship. There was spiritual pride, in which we've talked about. There was some false religion, which is all bad. It's not good. Let me just read a couple more verses. I'll just read it. Put up 15 there, guys. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood or injustice, it talks about. And then it says what? Verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. And we go, yeah, duh. We should. Christians should, if they're engaged in evil, we should stop. But look at verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. This is the goodness of the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will become like wool. So I want us to see two things, okay? One, these people were caught up in all sort of evil, but God specifically says, stop oppressing people who t- can't take care of themselves. That's what he names. Think about that, church. Stop taking advantage of people who are hopeless. Uh-oh. There was idol worship going on, Yes. There was debauchery going on, yes. There was loose and wild living, per se, going on. But God specifically says in this first charge, don't be corrupt. Remember who I am. Remember that when you were orphaned spiritually, who came and met with you? God says, I did. And then the good news is, the gospel is, don't fear. There's opportunity to this to be made right. This is pre-Calvary, so there's some theological things going on. But God goes on later to say throughout this whole book, there's one coming who will make this right. We'll do, he's going to do amazing things. There'll be forgiveness offered. But specifically, he says to his nation, literally, you can go back in archaeological history, some of the powerful people in the day were telling people to get out of their homes so they could build their palaces on top of the common folk's home. And God was saying, I'm, I'm done with that type of living. Stop. So the nation was off course. And God wrote in the Old Testament. I only bring that up. I know it's hard to hear. So you will trust me when I said the goal in the Old Testament was for God to call a people to worship him correctly and to have no enemies but neighbor and treat others as they wish to be treated, right? So what about Jesus, 800 years later in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, I am looking for people who will try and be perfect in their mercy as they live this life. My kingdom is built upon people who have received my grace, received my mercy, in doing so are being transformed by my spirit, who are listening to my teachings, Jesus, the big word, We interpret all the Bible through Jesus and walking in a way that goes, I'm going to try and be perfect in my mercy and grace. And so we fast forward to Matthew 7, verse 12. Put it up there, guys. Most public schools still teach this. It's called the golden rule or some form of it, right? It's a little different. That's great, but it's a problem too. Because when we see it in little children's rooms, what do we as adults do automatically? Oh, that's for kids. Oh, that's cute. We should put a little, like, teddy bear next to it on a mural. We should put it in a Hallmark card. We should teach the kids that. Where's Pam? Pam, Pam, teach the kids that. But Jesus wanted all people to hear this, Right? In his culmination, in what he's doing between Matthew 5, 17, and all the way through Matthew 7, 12, 13, and 14, and a few other verses, he is teaching us, remember, how to what? Treat others as we wish to be treated. Now, this came up in our men's breakfast yesterday. It was great. The food was amazing. Hopefully, the discussion was good. I am leaving a small caveat for people who want pain in their life. Sometimes there are disorders, whether psychologically or other, where people actually prefer pain. I don't know, without counseling and sitting down one-on-one or two-on-three, how we get through this passage. But for the large masses, Jesus says, Carol, my goal for you, she's like, what did I do? Nothing, you're wonderful, is for you to treat people in a way, basically put yourself in their situation. Mercy and grace wins the day. And walk this way, Carol, and treat them how you'd wish in all these things. This is the crazy part, though. Look at this. You ever notice this? This is not in the public schools, by the way, or the other schools. Just studying it for two weeks, that came afresh to me. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You know what Jesus is saying? This was the design the whole time. Oh, uh-oh. I thought it was about war and we saw some genocide and we, we did see racism in the Old Testament to a degree. I thought it was all about these kingdoms and wars and kings. We could talk about how God's plan works through that. God works through that. I'm not sure exactly. I could point you a long, long way toward the way, but there's a little mystery in there. But Jesus says this was the goal all the way back in the garden. This was the goal with the patriarchs, that people would worship God, a good God, and what? Live justly. (laughs) Sometimes the issue is what? We separate 13 and 14, but I'll close with that. How do I treat others as, you can go back one verse, I'm not there yet, sorry, I'm confusing, Tim, How do I do this, pastor? The good news is if you've come to church once or twice or three or five times in the last 10 weeks, we've learned. We learned about lust. We've learned about objectifying others. Don't do it, you don't want it done to you, is what Jesus says. And we all go, what? Amen. I want to be treated with dignity and respect. I'm a human being. Ladies, you want to be treated like human beings, amen? You should, you should say amen in church on that one. Divorce, the strong part of the teaching was what? Men, stop upgrading every two years. Treat women with dignity and respect. This is a lifelong commitment and there was some enlightening there when Jesus went through that. Lying, Jesus taught us why lying is never good. How many of you want to be lied to on a day-to-day basis? That actually really makes Americans' bloods boil through surveys is when we're lied to. It's usually our pride is involved, right? How could you lie to me? Well, I lie to everyone else, so you're just another person. I don't, but I'm playing the part, right? So Jesus talks about that. Anger and vengeance we saw. Jesus talked about that. And then Jesus talked in his sermon about love for enemy. And Jesus, in God's kingdom, because of his gospel, makes this amazing proclamation in God's grace, in his forgiveness, in his cross, in his gospel there is no more enemy, there is only neighbor. And that hits us here, right? In the microphone. Those are the things that we'll say we're bad, Jesus taught us, but then Jesus taught us about good things we do, but sometimes we get askew. He taught us about giving. He said, Don't give like an actor in Hollywood. Don't give just to get noticed. Then he taught us about praying. He said, Don't pray like those who just babble or those who want to be seen. Pray simple prayers to your Father. He taught us about fasting. He said, Put on your normal garb when you fast, don't do it for attention. And if we see this in those verses, this is how you and I want to be treated. How do we want to be treated? with authenticity, and in a genuine way, right? You don't want to be manipulated or lied to. I don't. I'll speak for myself. Then Jesus spoke briefly about what? Anxiety. And he gave us a real clear lesson. If your life is about only being a consumer, you will never have peace in your life. That's what Jesus said. Because you were made for more than that. And then he taught us about judgment. And anybody remember what Jesus said about judging others? Don't do it. And in that rare case, you have to do so with mercy and grace. And then that's the whole sermon up to verse 12. So Jesus says again, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, also do for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now verse 13, Timmy. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. Rarely are, in my experience looking online and being in church for 30 years, rarely are Matthew 7, 12, and 13, and 14 preaching the same sermon. Rarely. Rarely. I preached this sermon for the first time in big church like 10 years ago. I didn't preach Matthew 7, 12. I preached Matthew 7 and 13 because it's an easy it's an easy shoeing, right? Usually, next verse, Tim. Usually, Matthew 7 and 13 and 14 are preached about heaven and hell. Usually. Recall in your mind if you've heard it. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said this. Why? Because Jesus is speaking continually here, and he hasn't particularly mentioned heaven and hell yet in his sermon, and this appears to be a really peculiar spot to do so. I think Jesus wants us to see that if you live your life in such a way, by the tenets of my teaching, by the goodness of my Father, by the grace offered in my blood, we're not getting there yet, but that's the reality post-crucifix, we're here in resurrection... Jesus is simply pointing out most people you encounter will not live the way I prescribed in Matthew 7, 12. Many people will live not concerned with others but only concerned with themselves. And Jesus says that way is easy and there's a highway and people are flying down it even 2,000 years ago. But Jesus commissions us Don't take that way, saints. Take the hard way because it leads to life. Life we deal, oh, what about salvation? Destruction is salvation. There's a hint there, but I don't think that's Jesus' main point. This is a good coffee talk if you want to know really why. One of the main reasons it wasn't taught that way the first 1500 years, which is a good indication historically, and actually it really wasn't taught that way until about the last 90 years of our culture. And one of the ways this teaching kind of came was the Big Crusades. You guys know about the Big Crusades? That's great. They're, they're wonderful. They serve a purpose, but sometimes we need to go longer in the Sermon on the Mount and dig deeper. If you treat others the way you wish to be treated, I know this. The life offered in Christ is some of the things we talked about last week we're seeking, we're asking, we're knocking, we're wanting the good things from God, and God in grace gives us an abundant life that we can't have any other way. If we walk around with spiritual pride and judgmentalism and a nose to the heavens at times and a steered eye down at people, that's the broad road that most of this world walks around with, right? Right? that path tends to lead to destruction in the here and now. With relationships broken, with families all a mess, with marriages on the rocks, with kids not speaking to parents and vice versa, with churches blowing up over the color of the carpet. But what Jesus is getting at is this. Think in your head as we close. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. A wonderful time to worship for a few more minutes and receive communion. I didn't even get to the practical piece of the sermon. When someone makes a fool of themselves and drives their car in a way that only bemoans laughter and criticism, if you do that or when you do that, how do you want to be treated? You're already embarrassed. You're already late. You're already frustrated. You're already killing yourself. Now, most Americans, thanks to social media, will use that opportunity. I'll just say it that way. But in those moments, let's think to ourselves man, how do I want to be treated? I could use a helping hand right now, even though I'm a moron, because I did that. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. When someone makes a fool of themselves, and it's a safe situation, I'm not talking about breaking up fights and doing things that the police need to do and all that stuff, but when someone does something foolish, and they're in a pickle at the airport, have you ever been there? Have you ever made a fool of yourself? And this is the hard part. I'm going to pick on you, all right, Deb? Deb would never do this, but she makes a fool of herself at the airport. Can I help you? And she goes, I'm fine, thank you. What do I do as a Christian? Bless you, have a good day. I'm treating her the way Jesus has commanded me to, because she's with it, she doesn't need medical attention. She is simply embarrassed, and she says, I'm fine. Because sometimes we go overboard, right? Let me help you, let me help you. Go, let me help 911, let me help you, let me help you. Come on, come on, hey, hey, hey. Gloria, come on. And then she's... Gone. She's like, I, I don't even like you. And now I see you're Jesus fish, and I don't like you're Lord. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm getting at is enter in with grace and mercy, discern the way the Holy Spirit gives us discernment, and be an agent of grace. And if she says, I'm fine, just embarrassed, no problem. Bless you. So work this out as we go through our lives, church. I guarantee in a room of 80 or whatever people are here, there will be 10,000 opportunities this week to put his words into practice. Pray about it in the morning. Lord, give me grace to treat others as I wish to be treated and show me those spots. How many of you don't really want to go in the office tomorrow? No one's videotaping, don't don't worry. Pray for those opportunities. One of the reasons you don't want to go in the office is your supervisors don't treat you the way Jesus prescribed, amen? So we see it. Own it on a practical level. See the teaching. It's powerful. It will open up your eyes and ears. Whatever political affiliation you have in the next five weeks, treat the opposite side with grace and compassion and mercy because that's what you want, even if they're the other side. I'm going to pray. Music team's going to come up. We'll have an opportunity to take communion. Uh, We will sing one song and pass both elements. We're going to try and continue in that. I'm going to ask the Lord to bless both elements. I'm going to ask the Lord to bless our time as we finish. And then please come join us in fellowship as we uh, close. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this message of life. Thank you for this message of hope and peace and the things that you've prescribed. Thank you for the amazing teaching where your son has in a sense, commanded us to treat others as we wish to be treated, ultimately with mercy and compassion and dignity and kindness. Help us do that. Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his broken body that hung on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for his shed blood. We thank you that he made the payment once and for all so that we could run to you, Lord, and not run from discipline or judgment, but we can run to your arms now, so we thank you for that. Bless this time as we close. Give us the mind of Christ, and let us serve him this week. In Jesus' name, amen.